today. John chapter 1. Hey, good morning. John 1. We're almost finished with John 1. It's taken us 10 weeks so far. We got one more week after this. We're going to kind of summarize uh, things in a couple of week, couple of weeks. Uh, John 1 may be the, one of the most significant chapters um, ever written. Uh, ver- verses 1 through 18 have this great doctrinal theological focus. And then over the last several weeks, we have been looking at uh, individual people who were the first believers in Christ and began to follow um, him. And so today we're going to see two invitations that take place. One's directly from Jesus to a man named Philip. And then we're going to see an invitation to come to know Jesus from Philip after his life has been changed to a friend of his by the name of Nathaniel. There are four different ways in, the, in John chapter 1 that we see, see people come to faith in Christ. And then we see four different testimonies after those who have come to meet Christ. Let me just briefly remind us of of those, and we'll see in a moment um, two of them that make a confession today of Jesus. Andrew came to know Jesus as a result of the testimony of John the Baptist. Andrew was a uh, disciple of John the Baptist. Andrew had a brother named Peter. So he went to his brother Peter and said, hey, we've met the Messiah. And so Andrew introduces Peter, his brother, to Christ. Today we will see Philip. He will meet Jesus directly on the road, and Jesus will invite him right there immediately. Hey, follow me. Uh, Philip will spend some time with Jesus that day. And then after his time with Jesus, which is the natural case that we've already seen, um, Philip's heart is so alive that he's got a friend named Nathan, and he knows his friend named Nathan needs to hear about the one that he's met the Messiah. And so Philip goes and finds Nathaniel. Nathaniel has some intellectual obstacles to overcome to come to Jesus and so but and so eventually Philip just says okay look I get it you got to come with me and you got to see the one that I've spent time with today all four make different confessions very unique John the Baptist testified and confessed that Christ is the eternal one he's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world he's the one who's anointed with the Holy Spirit Andrew will testify that Jesus is the Messiah to his brother Peter that we have found the Christ. Uh, Philip testifies that the one that he has met um, is the one that is written of in the Old Testament. He sees him as the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures, and he comes to know that. And then Nathaniel will come at the end after he overcomes his obstacle to coming to Jesus. He will testify that Christ is the Son of God. He is the King of Israel. And with each of these men that we will encounter today, it is clear that the Holy Spirit has already been at work at them. And I know this to be true in this room today, the Holy Spirit, before he ever got into this room this morning, was at work, preparing you to hear what he has in store for us today. Maybe today is the day that you don't wait anymore for life change. Maybe today's the day when everything changes, that the Spirit's been at work, and you're going to identify with one of these two guys today, and everything is going to change today, because I know this to be true, Jesus is after you. He is pursuing you, He is pursuing me, He is after us, wanting to bring us into a deep relationship with Him. So let's look, John chapter 1, and I want to go to 35, and we're going to read 35 all the way to 51, um, so that we can kind of put all this together in what is happening and taking place. So the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? 
And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And he stayed with them that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own uh, brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and right there just said, Simon, I see who you are now, but you're going to be something more. I'm going to give you a new name. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Here's our text for today, 43. The next day, very next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Notice that both, come and see, come and see. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him and said, Rabbi, you're the Son of God, the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these, Nathanael. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I've structured our talk today around this word disciple. What do disciples know? What are things that disciples embrace? What does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus? And so I have several things today that I think are really critical for us to see. So if you're a follower of Jesus today... Um, What we learn from these first ones who came into a relationship and began to follow Jesus, nothing new has been instituted. This is exactly how you and I ought to live our life, how we ought to think, what needs to be in and around our lives. And so the first thing is found in verse 33, 43, and 44. Look with me there again. 43. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethesda. Bethesda, Bethsaida, excuse me, Bethsaida, there we go, the city of Andrew and Peter. First point this morning is I want to talk about that disciples know true life is found in following Jesus. Three of the twelve were from Bethsaida. Now Bethsaida was a, it means fisherman's town or fisher town where the, where the Jordan River flowed into Uh, the Sea of Galilee, just north of that, was this fishing village called Bethsaida. Three of the twelve apostles were from that. Now, what's interesting about Bethsaida was this, is that Jesus, at some point in time, consistently in his ministry, did miracles in Bethsaida. As a matter of fact, Jesus says this about Bethsaida in Matthew 11. Listen to these words, Matthew 11, 21. Jesus, in Matthew 11, gives several woes to cities about what they had witnessed. And he says this, Woe to you, Chorazim. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So here's what's going on. Jesus evidently, and the Gospels don't record this, had done a tremendous amount of miracles in the city of Bethsaida. People saw it. 
and it just didn't move the needle for them. They didn't believe. And so, so Jesus, speaking about them, just says this, Bethsaida, there's an issue. I, as God, have come to your city. I have taught. I have healed. I have done incredible things. And you don't really care. And what I love about God is this, is what does God do in cities and nations where faith is discouraged, people aren't interested in Christ? Do you know what God does? In those nations, in those cities, God raises up believers to do a work. And so here in the city of Bethsaida, where people for the most part had rejected what they had seen, what they had heard, God raises up three guys named Andrew and Peter and Philip to become followers of Jesus. Now let's talk about this word found for a moment. There are two ways to find things. To accidentally stumble upon something and so you find it. Another way is to intentionally seek something. Now we have all experienced both of those. You ever, you ever found a restaurant that's become your favorite restaurant and you didn't know it and you just kind of stumbled it. Maybe it was kind of out of the way somewhere or, or maybe some other unique thing or you discovered a show or a movie or a relationship or a friendship and you weren't really looking for it and you just kind of stumbled upon it and you're like, wow, this is amazing. So, so that's one reality of things is we can stumble upon things. The second reality is simply this, is that there is a searching and a finding that is amazing. And so here's Philip. He wakes up that day, and we understand from Philip that he likely was a, a studier of the Scripture and a reader of the Old Testament. But he just, he just wakes up one day, and maybe he's sitting at home, and it's just going to be like every other day that he's like, and he's just, you know, he's going to do the things that he's going to do that day. But little does he know that Jesus is coming to Galilee, and Jesus is on the march. And he's seeking John 4 tells us he's seeking worshipers who want to worship him in spirit and truth. And he meets a guy, and he comes to Philip, and he just, it's not, it's not miraculous, it's not incredible. He just simply says this. He says to Philip, he says, Philip, listen, Philip, here's the deal. Follow me. Now, we all know what following is, right? Following is this. Some of us love the Dallas Cowboys. Some of us love some other pagan NFL teams besides the Cowboys. Some of us like the University of Texas. Hook them, Cassidy, back there. Some of us like Texas A&M. Okay, just one little weak whoop, whoever that was. But anyway, and so we know what following is. We have a favorite show that we follow. And what do we do? Everything in our life gets rearranged, what? To experience that and be there. So watch, when Jesus comes to Philip, and he's seeking out Philip, and he comes to Philip, he says, Philip, I want you to follow me. He's not saying to Philip, or what he's actually saying to Philip is this, is I want everything in your life to completely change. I want you to leave your old life, everything that you've known, everything that's been established, because what I offer you is way better than anything that you could plan for yourself, anything that you could you could hope to have happen for you in the future. I'm the one that's going to give you life. And right there on the spot, <coughs> something about the moment caused Philip to go, all right, I'm on board with that. I'm on board with that, and I'm going to, I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to leave everything that I know, and I'm going to begin to walk with you. And so Jesus seeks him. Jesus finds him and calls him to follow we know what that is we 
we, we rearrange our life. And so Philip, right there in the moment, rearranged his life and began to follow Jesus. Now, what's interesting about Philip is this, and we'll see this deeper in a moment. It's pretty clear that Philip has been reading the Bible and reading the Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah. So when he meets Jesus, he connects those two, and he sees that the Scripture and the life of Jesus are incredibly intimate. You cannot separate those things, and it changes him. Now, Jesus tells him this. It doesn't tell him this. Hey, all the stuff you've been studying, just kind of throw it out and now follow me. But what he's going to tell Philip is this. Everything that you've known, you just bring it along with you because I'm going to enhance it. And I'm going to take you to a deeper place of knowing me. And it's going to continue. Hang on. If you're a prayer, why don't you pray for my voice for a moment? (coughs) All right, we're going to get through this. God has power, right? All right, here we go. So listen, here's what he tells Philip. I'm not asking you to leave your mind behind. I'm not asking you to leave everything that you've studied, everything that you've come to know. I want you to bring that, what you know to be true of the Scripture, and I want you to follow me, and I want you to go with me. And this word follow here is is in the tense, present tense, and it means to continue to follow. He's not saying, hey, follow me for a few months, and then you kind of go back home, you kind of get back to your life. He's saying, I want you to leave everything that you know and follow me and have your life connected deeply with me. So men and women, students, boys and girls in the room this morning, we need to follow him as we find him in the Word of God. We need to follow him as we discover more from him, from following him. We need to follow him in every revealed story and teaching in the epistles. We need to follow him in every proposition after proposition that is in the scripture. We need to follow him by knowing doctrine and theology. We need to follow him by discerning (coughs) false teaching and knowing biblical truth. We need to follow him by being in a room like this, worshiping with other believers. We need to follow him and to be willing to do whatever it is that he has to say. Do you all remember Abraham? (coughs) In Abraham's life in Genesis 12, God comes to him. And God says to Abraham, hey, I want you to pack up everything that you own, all of your family, and I want you to go to a land um, that I'm going to show you. Now, here's what Abraham doesn't do in Genesis 12. Abraham doesn't say, hey, God, will you give me a map? Abraham doesn't say to God, hey, can you tell me what the climate's going to be like? I'm not sure if I want to go. You know, is it cool enough for me? Am I going to be able to see the beach? Um, Can I see the mountains? Um, He doesn't say, hey, what are the people going to be like there? Abraham doesn't say, "Um, uh, you know, am I going to have a nice house or anything like that? Here's the reality. Listen, men and women. When God said, follow me, Abraham, he was saying this, you follow me, you trust me. I know what I'm doing, I am all good, and you just follow along, and I'll tell you where to stop, and along the way you may face some things, but I want you to know this, I'm going to be with you every step of the way, you simply follow me. We faithfully follow for this reason, because we know that he holds the only life that you and I need. And I want to say this in room, because I think it's important, because you hear it in our culture all the time, God... In regard to our life, in regard to God and our relationship with Him, God's aim for our life is not to make all of our dreams come true. 
Are y'all with me? God's aim is not for all of us, every one of our dreams, every one of our longings to completely come true, but I do know this to be true about him. His aim for our life is to give us a life that's way more than you you and I could ever imagine and ever come to understand. And it, it means that we lose our life to find life in him, and when we find our life in him, he does some amazing, incredible <coughs> things. All right, look at verse 45. So disciples come to a place, verse chapter one, or point one this morning, <coughs> no life is found in following Jesus. Point two, thank you very much. That's a good man right there. Look at that servant. Did you steal that from your mom? Let me bite yourself. Oh, Rachel. Thank you, Rachel. Way to go. Thank you. I was good this morning. <clears throat> I think the enemy doesn't want us to hear this, but we're going we're gonna to get through. If I have to whisper, we're going to get through this this morning. All right, we'll get there. All right, Luke 45. Philip found <clears throat> Nathaniel and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, this needs to be true about disciples. This should mark our lives. So Philip's come. His life has been changed. He likely spends the afternoon talking with Jesus, measuring what he knows in the Scripture with the teaching of Jesus. Jesus probably reveals Old Testament passages. and, And Philip, boy, you talk about transformation. And he just can't contain himself. And he knows this. i got to go tell somebody what's happened to me. And the first thing that he does is he goes and he finds a friend named Nathan. And he says, we have found the one that we Jews have been waiting for for centuries. Our generation has the blessing of this. He's not going to pass us by and it's not going to be seen the fulfillment of the coming of the Messiah in our generation, it's, it's fulfilled in our generation. I just saw him, and I want you to go with me to see him. And Philip just is excited. And so the second principle about disciples is this, is they seek out others to tell them about the transformation that has come to their lives. Philip's been changed. He wants Nathaniel to know about that. And he knew what the Scriptures had already say, stated about Jesus. There was confirmation in his heart. He loves the reality of this, and he goes and finds his friend to seek him out to tell him about Jesus. Thirdly, second, last part of verse 45. We have found him of whom <coughs> Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. Thirdly, this morning, disciples come to an understanding of Jesus in light of the Scripture, not anywhere else. Are you all with me? Yeah, but what about Mardell and the top ten list? Uh, I don't know what's on the top ten list. I can just tell you this. This is better than on the top ten list. Those books are written about this, hopefully by godly people. But I've seen the top ten list at Mardell sometimes, and I wouldn't recommend anything that's there. Some of the stuff, not anything, but some of the stuff that's there. So you and I, if we're going to come to know Jesus, we've got to come to know the biblical Jesus, not the cultural Jesus. Not even the church Jesus. We need to come to know the biblical Jesus, not a denomination Jesus. We need to come to know the Jesus that is in Scripture. And so, John 1 doesn't give us the detail, but Philip must have spent quite a bit of time with Jesus that day. 
And again, I think he's a student. And that's why when he goes and he finds Nathan, he says this, we have found the one of whom Moses wrote about and the prophets wrote about. How would he know that? He's squaring those things together. He studied the scripture, his life, Philip's a student. Now he meets Jesus. Jesus likely teaches Philip that day. Philip asks questions, quotes scripture, asks about stories. What about when Moses said this? And Jesus said, well, yeah, that's about me. That's a point about who, what I'm going to, to do for you. That, that's about me. Well, what about when Jeremiah said this? Yeah, that's about me. What about when Malachi, yeah, yeah, that, that's about me as well. Could you, wouldn't you have loved to have been Philip that day? Can you just imagine? You've been studying the scripture your whole life. And you wonder, is the Messiah going to pass your generation by and not come? And now he's actually in the streets. And he's three feet across from you. Can you imagine what that student of the scripture, Philip, felt that day and what he experienced? Can you understand how he's like, I got to go, I got to go tell somebody about this. I just have been talking with the living word of God. Nathaniel, you got to come with me. See, Philip's great faith was strongly deeper, deeper, deep. I'm just having mouth problems. I didn't have these problems in the first service. Anyway, deeper. Do you think we could establish that as a new American word, deeper? <laughs> deeper. Isn't life fun? Anyway, <clears throat> deeper relationship when you and I know the God of the Scripture. Not the God of a denomination, maybe, that's okay. I just, I just want to remind us, until, they, until, until you guys one day put me in a wooden box and put me in the ground, I'm going to say this to us until I'm there. Know the God of the Scripture. Read the Scripture. Know the God of the Scripture. Know Him. Philip's excitement, Philip's transformation was... What he knew and read, now meeting that and connecting it with Jesus, and this is what it did. It didn't do this, it did this. Because you've got the written word and the living word, and it did this that day. And Philip is incredibly excited about that. And so this man who's read the scriptures all life is now reading the word of God. And the testimony of scripture, I believe, gives the most credibility to the truth of who Jesus is. Now, our culture and some denominations will say that's not true. Because our culture will say this, man has touched the Bible too many times, too many copies, too many thousands of years, too many cultures, too many things of this nature. But I don't know if you knew this or not, but in Israel now, they are having more and more archaeological digs. They are finding more things, and every single thing that they find is validating what's in the Old Testament and the New Testament. They're not finding anything that contradicts it. As a matter of fact, the Dead Sea Scrolls um, and some of the passages that, that have survived there, they are spot on exactly with um, what you read in an English version today. Just right there. You see, our God is sovereign, and man can hold tablets of Scripture as much as they want to, but God is going to preserve His Word. You know why? Because His Word is everlasting. It's going to last forever, and so it's trustworthy. And so you and I need to come to a place where we understand Jesus in the light of Scripture. Fourthly, look at, you will pass over it if you're not careful. W4, third W is what? Word, hello. Third W is what? 
Word. Yeah, I guess say that better enthusiasm. Third W is what? Word. We look at key words. Look at these words there. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, this is shocking. So Philip finds Nathan and said, we have found the Messiah, the one that Moses wrote about, the one the prophets wrote about. Let me tell you who he is. He's in a human body in Galilee. And he's got this name, Jesus. He's from a city called Nazareth. And he had an earthly father by the name of Joseph. Now listen, church. We live in 2019. Cults everywhere are around us. They deny the deity of Jesus. They deny the humanity of Jesus. Here's Philip and Nathaniel and the first century Jews who came to place their faith and trust in Jesus. They had no issue with God being in a body. They knew that God was going to come, not in some spirit form and kind of hover around the earth. They knew God was going to come, and now he's there. So Philip goes and finds Nathaniel and says to Nathaniel, I met the Messiah. I met God. He's in Galilee. He's in a body. He had an earthly father named Joseph. <clears throat> He's from the city of Nazareth. And so here's the fourth principle about disciples. <coughs> disciples affirm the doctrine of the incarnation always. God came in a body. He died in a body. He was resurrected in a body, a very unique body. He ascended in a body. He is seated at the right hand of the Father in a body. He will return in a body. And he will reign forever and ever and ever in a body. So this doctrine is really, really important for us in our faith. Every cult that is out there, if they deny Jesus came in the flesh, is one of the ways that you know they are a cult. If they deny that Jesus in a body is actually God, or they say he's not God, then that is a cult. Listen to what John said in 1 John 4, 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God, and it is actually the Spirit of the Antichrist. Antichrist meaning this, Antichrist, denying Christ, denying who he is. Philip had no issue when he found Nathaniel to say, God's over here. He's over here in Galilee, and he has this voice, and you can talk to him, and he's so incredible. I just spent all day with him. Well, here's the fifth thing, and we all have, we've all been here. True disciples must move from man's understanding of Christ to the biblical truth understanding of Jesus. Now, Nathaniel, I'm going to call him Nathan. It's easier because I got a I got tongue problems today and <clears throat> throat problems, voice box problems. Nathan's got some hurdles to overcome. Cuz he grew up in a culture that said this, nothing good in the city of Nazareth that's a god and that's godly could come from that because that's the backwoods. That's where the country folk live or whatever whatever prejudice you have about somebody in Israel, if you lived in Nazareth, you lived in the worst city. We have things today, top 10 places to visit. Nazareth would be on the top 10 places to never go, never live, never want to get a job. Don't do that. That's where Jesus is from. And for me, it makes total sense he would be from a place like Nazareth. You know why? 
because it affirms the humility of Jesus. He didn't come to be in a palace. He was born in a barn among animals. He would grow up naturally in a place like Nazareth where everybody said, who in the world would come from Nazareth? No way the Messiah would come from Nazareth. And so Nathan has in his head a preconceived notion that there's no way the Messiah could come from Nazareth. It wasn't a biblical idea, but it was a cultural one. And so when he hears from Philip, listen, Philip, I got some good news for you. I met the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. Mm, No, nothing good has ever come from Nazareth. As a matter of fact, I don't want to go to Nazareth. I don't want to be there. No way. And see, he is going to have to have this idea of moving beyond what he had come to understand from his culture and his own life to come to a place that, yeah, the Messiah is from Nazareth because he's been there and he's present and it's all true and it's real. Regardless of how you've come into the room this morning, probably every one of us before we came to faith had some intellectual things about faith. Did you? I did. I had some things. I didn't want to come to know Christ at age 17. I can't, finally, at the age of 17, came to know Christ. But I didn't want to become a Christian because I thought God wanted to take sports away from me. I had a weird outlook on God. I thought he was this big robber. He wanted to take things away. And I didn't realize that if I would come to him, he just would enhance my sports. And, and I, he could use me in the midst of that with my teammates. But that was my idea. So all of us had, had or maybe somebody's in the room this morning, you have intellectual issues that you obstacles that keep us from coming to faith Nathan had one and so the best thing his friend could do is this okay look I get it but how about come with me and let me just show you the one let me introduce you to the one that I've been talking with today let me give you an illustration of this for my own life back in 1993 I had a job offer in Grapevine at a at a at a church there that was kind of blowing and going it's kind of still a big church and they offered me the youth ministry position there. So um, Pam and I came up, kind of drove around and, and, uh, and looked around. And, and um, I'd had an interview with them. And I went back home. We were living in Houston at the time. And, and it was a church that was very different than anything that I knew. Very seeker-driven, if you're familiar with that, seeker-friendly, seeker-driven kind of stuff. It's kind of where you just, all, all you did was topics. And, and you, uh, it was kind of more, much more man-centered preaching with some scripture kind of thrown in and things of that nature. And so I did a little bit of investigating. I thought... I'm not really for sure we'd be a good fit there, and, and I think I'd have to work. Pam and I were trying to have kids, and I think, I, I, you know, from what I heard, I was going to have to work 70, 75 hours a week, and Saturday night service, and Sunday morning service, and Sunday night, and I just thought, oh boy, I don't know if I, I want to do that. So I got on the phone from Houston, and I called the guy, and it wasn't the pastor, it was somebody else, and I called and said, hey, listen, I'm, uh, I'm not going to come. Um, said we just my wife and I prayed and we drove around not going to come and on the phone the guy literally said this to me do you know who we are do you know the church that we are and our reputation and I immediately thought to myself okay this is why I think God's not wanting me to come there um, because it's not about us it's about Jesus and I've often thought of my life if I had gone to that church and had a whole different philosophy than what we do here at LifePoint if my if I'd have gotten caught up in that and got sidetracked. I would like to think that I wouldn't have, but I know that our flesh can can love the recognition that comes from 
having a lot of people around if you're in the ministry and all the things of that nature. And I'll just say this to you this morning. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else than right here this morning. And I'm so glad my path didn't go that way. And I'm so glad that I didn't get sidetracked about things because I love teaching word for word through the scripture. And so everybody in the room this morning, I want to remind you and I, we have to move past man's understanding to a biblical understanding. And it's different from the other point that was there a while ago. Nathaniel had an understanding about what the Messiah was going to be like. He couldn't come from Nazareth, but Nathaniel was wrong. He was from Nazareth. He had grown up in Nazareth. He was a carpenter in Nazareth. His career was in Nazareth. That was the life of Jesus. And so Nathaniel had to overcome that reality. And so for us, that's important. <clears throat> and so... All Philip can say to his friend Nathan is, okay, I can't convince you. Come and see. Come, just come. Come and see. Come and see this guy. So Philip embraces the role of becoming an apologist and says, come and see. And sometimes for us in our lives, that's the best thing that we can do. Maybe we've explained the gospel to someone. They don't understand it. And all we can say, hey, come with me to my church. Come with me to this Bible study. Come with me to this. Come with me to this concert. Um, Come with me and just come and see, come and listen, come and think uh, after you hear the things that have been there. And to the skeptic in the room today, I would say this. C.S. Lewis said it really well. C.S. Lewis said, in a civilization like ours, I feel that everyone has to come to terms with the claims of Christ upon his life or else he is guilty of inattention or avoiding the question. And I would just say to the skeptic this morning, if you're going to reject Christ, you have that right. But do so with integrity. Do so with fully considering his claims in honesty, not by just reading other skeptics and only reading skeptics, but really look at what Jesus had to say, looking at people who know him and have wrote books. And that's what Philip does that day. Look, I got it. You don't get it that there's no way the Messiah could come from Nazareth. But I'm just telling you, he can, so come and see. Come and see for yourself. Come investigate. Come and ask. And sometimes the greatest thing that we can say is just simply this. Come and see Jesus. Notice what Philip doesn't do to Nathaniel. He doesn't say, hey, come and see this Christian. He doesn't say, hey, come to this church. He says this, listen, come to Jesus. Come to Christ don't come and see my Christian friend. And, and again, some of that stuff, we, we can do that. Sometimes that's all that we can do. We get to a point. But he knew this, that the greatest thing that he could do is say to his friend Nathan, come and see Jesus for yourself. And here's what happened. Look at 47 and 49. So they're walking together, two friends, Philip and Nathaniel, coming to Jesus. So Jesus Saul, Nathaniel, by the way, Jesus sees us first always before anybody else ever does. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. It's interesting, this phrase, under the fig tree, was what rabbis would use back in the first century to talk about those who would get under a tree and meditate on the Scripture. It's a description of someone meditating the Scripture. And because Jesus uses this, 
it's likely, we know it's exactly what Philip was doing, but it was also this idea that he, is, he was saying, I know what you've been up to. Nathaniel, I know this about you. You've been thinking about the Bible. You've been thinking about the things of God. As a matter of fact, not only do I know what you were thinking about, I know where you were. You were under the fig tree thinking about the Scripture. And so he, and Nathaniel is coming to him. This word here in the Greek is a word, it's a play on the name Jacob. Y'all remember Jacob? He was a deceiver. He tricked his brother uh, to get the blessing. And so when Nathaniel's coming up with Philip, Jesus sees him and says, Behold, there's a man in Israel who has no Jacob in him at all. That's a man of integrity. And as he did that, Nathaniel inside just went, Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've been in another city. This guy's here. Philip and I walked from another city to this city. How in the world does this guy know where I was and what I was thinking? And this inner conviction begins to rise up in Nathaniel's life, and he realizes this. This is God. I'm standing before God because a man would not know that I was under a fig tree, and he wouldn't know what scripture I was meditating on. By the way, in a moment, Jesus is going to talk about ascending and descending of angels. That's from Genesis chapter 28, connected to, by the way, who? Jacob, who was the deceiver. So as he comes up and Jesus says, Behold, no Jacob in you. In a minute he's going to say, Angels descending. That's the scripture Nathaniel was meditating on. And Nathaniel's realizing, Oh my goodness, this guy knows my thoughts. He knows where I were, was. He knows what I was meditating on. He knows what I was praying. He knows that in my heart I want to be a man of integrity. I want no Jacob in me. And Nathaniel just right there just says this, you're the son of God, you're the king of Israel. He couldn't come to any other conclusion. And here's the sixth point this morning. Disciples recognize the glory of God through the word and nature of God. They come to know the nature of God and the revelation of God in the scripture. (coughs) And it transforms them. And it's that way for us in the room today. If you and I want to know what the nature of God is like, we see the nature of God revealed in Scripture. We experience that nature of God by walking in the truth of Scripture. We know that who He is is true because as we walk and as we brace who He is and we brace His Word, we know that He just does this work of transformation in our lives. And so we must all come to the place of recognizing that the glory of God is revealed in the Word So that we will know the nature of God. That's what the word of God does for us primarily. That's that's why in our W4, first W is, please do better at this. First W is what? Who he is. Any first thing we ask, always reading the scripture is, what does this tell me about who God is? Because the Bible is not a revelation about our story. It's a revelation about God's story and who he is, his nature. And so here it is. They recognize, and, and Nathaniel comes to recognize that. He says, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You are the king of Israel. See, Jesus tells him, right before this meeting we were having here, Nathaniel, I saw you sitting under the tree meditating on Jacob's ladder. And 30 minutes ago, as I saw you deep in thought about this, 
um, contemplating all the stuff that makes up real life and, and, and important aspects. I saw your heart. I saw your body. I saw your thoughts. I know you. And not only do I know you, Nathaniel, where you were, but I also know everything about you, Nathaniel. I know that your heart wants to walk in integrity. Two great things transformed Nathaniel's life that day. A little different, but the same things that transformed Philip's life. It was the Word of God connecting with the nature of God. So, Nathaniel realizes <clears throat> he knows where I was, knows what I was meditating on, and so therefore, this is God. Therefore, watch this. He knows everything. And I want to say this out loud this morning because I think it's important and I think there's great security connected with this. God knows everything. There are no limits to his understanding. Zero limits to God's understanding. He gets it all. He sees all. 300 prophecies of the Old Testament were fulfilled in the life of Jesus. What does that say? God knows the future. You read the book of Revelation? Does God know the future? Yes. These things will unfold. There are no limits to God's nature in regard to his understanding. And so for us, Nathaniel comes to that realization. The thing that transformed him that day was God's omniscience, Christ's omniscience. He knew what he was thinking, what he was meditating on, where he was. Nothing limited Christ. And so Nathaniel recognizes only God can know this. Man can't do this. Only God can know this. And then Jesus talks to him. And so through the words of Jesus and explanation, Nathaniel has this idea. And, this, and he's just like, you are... You're the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And then Jesus says to him, listen, here's the last thing this morning, is that disciples eventually get to the place where they affirm and declare this and don't stop doing it. Jesus is the only way <clears throat> to heaven. He's it. And so look at 50 and 51 as we close. So Jesus answered him, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Nathaniel, you're going to see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on a ladder. What does it say? It's not going to be on a ladder anymore, right? It's going to be on who? It's going to be on the sun of man. I love this. Hey, Nathan, you're blown away that I knew what you're thinking and where you were. Let me tell you something. You're going to see way, way greater things than that. You see what you were meditating on, that ladder? Uh, I am the ladder. And I'm the one that's going to bridge the gap between heaven and earth. And you're going to see angels descending on me and ascending on me and I'm going to be the one who opens up the door. And so I'm the key. So you're meditating on the ladder. But I just want you to know that I'm, I'm the ladder. I'm it. I'm the one. I'm the only way for salvation. So follow me. Leave everything you know. And come and follow me. And it will be worth it. Jesus' favorite phrase of himself was this phrase, son of man. It's from Daniel chapter 7. And this is what it says. Makes perfect sense. Jesus used this. Daniel 7, 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. 
And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to this one, who was the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So the seventh principle as we finish up John 1 this morning is this. His disciples come to a place of declaration. Jesus is the only one who opens the way to heaven, opens the way to relationship. Nathaniel sitting under the fig tree, hot day, sitting in the shade, contemplating on Jacob's ladder. Little did he know he's about to meet the ladder in a body. He's about to meet Jesus. He's going to about to be the one that's going to rescue his soul. He's going to about to be the one that's going to transform his life and send him to the nations. And so, <clears throat> eventually, every one of us in the room this morning, no matter age, no matter how long you've been in the faith, here's the reality. Every one of us must get to the place of what we see with Philip and Nathaniel today. Eventually, we get to the place where all that we want to do is declare... You are the Messiah, you are the Christ, you are Lord, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel, you are Alpha, you are beautiful, you are comfort, you are divine, you are everlasting, you are faithful, you are great, you are high and mighty, you are infinite, you are just, you are King, you are loving, you are mighty. You are noble. You are omnipotent and omniscient. You are powerful. There's got to be a cue one. I don't know what it is. You are righteous. You are the satisfying sacrifice that turned the Father's wrath from us. You are trustworthy. You are undivided. You are the victorious warrior. You are zealous for us. You are Yahweh. And eventually we get to these two disciples where all that we want to do is just say, you are, you are, you are, you are. That's what John the Baptist did. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Andrew said, you're the Messiah. We don't know what Peter said. It's not recorded in John. Philip says, we found the one that fulfills the Old Testament prophecies. Come with me. Nathaniel says, you're the son of God, the king of Israel. So in these weeks, we've been talking about this. He is I am, we are not. He is I am, he is, we are not. And the great response of our life for what he has done for us is to live these declarations, you are, you are, you are, you are this. And to live that way and to give testimony because we've been transformed because of who he is. John 1, what a great chapter. Took us 10 weeks, going to take us 11 weeks. Uh, when we get back, we're going to summarize everything two weeks from today. And by the way, when I'm in Asia, I do not want to get a text from one of the elders and say, nobody came because I wasn't here. You better be here next week, Matt Vanderwell. (laughs) 
<laughs> You're such a, such a pagan. Anyway. <laughs> Just kidding. I know, you're, I know you love Jesus. Listen, James Roberts is going to be here next week. James is phenomenally godly, great teacher. He'll be here next week. Don't miss next week. Come next week as you pray for us while we're gone. Um, let's live this week declaring the great glory of who God is. All right, let's pray.